Welcome to Personified. For this week's show, we'll be covering Japanese versus American horror. What are the differences, and how does culture come into play? We'll find out all these things and more tonight. So join me. It's an East Meets West style mashup when all things nerdy become personified. So let's start with American horror. And uh, we'll get around to Japanese horror, but I'd kind of like to get over to American horror first. Then we'll talk a little bit about Japanese and we'll kind of blend the two. When you look at American horror versus Japanese horror, you have to look at our influences. America is relatively young. I believe it's one of the youngest countries on the planet. And a lot of our philosophies and ways of life is to just pretty much say, screw tradition, screw the rules. Which, ironically enough, we ended up having a lot of traditions later, but the human condition. Essentially, we wanted to live in a country where there was separation of church and state. And a lot of our influences in horror films actually come from uh, religious views and superstitions. Uh, For example, you know, The Exorcist. A lot of people still honestly believe in possessions. Uh, Some people believe these are 100% truth. And if you believe that, all right, go you. Some commonalities and common themes in American horror that you'll find is the overwhelming sense of hopelessness. Uh, We tend to have a lot of jump scares or direct scares, as I'll refer to them. And also, uh, there, there typically tends to be a moralistic tale, especially in slashers. It involves a group of teens, and of course, the more promiscuous ones uh, are the first to die, and we have what's called a final girl, which is the girl that is the virgin, the good girl, and she typically makes it out alive as the lone survivor. Um, And then we have, you know, many other different types of genres. I could actually talk about differences in genres, meanings, symbolisms for days. And then maybe later we could get into other podcasts uh, that more go into detail over certain issues in the genres, because there really is, in both American and Japanese horror, there's subgenres to subgenres to subgenres. It goes on for a while. There's a lot of different ones, so we're just going to kind of gloss over the basics of each and noticeable differences and similarities. What are some of the most influential uh, American horror films that we know of? So I'm going to start the list off with actually The Shining. Uh, The Shining came out in 1980. Uh, It was done by a director by the name of Stanley Kubrick, uh, who has a very odd sense of storytelling. However, his imagery and cinematography is stunning. So what makes The Shining really stand out is its beautiful scenes and big atmosphere. It's kind of a growing sense of dread that he really imbues in this film. 
It's a story that pretty much keeps the audience on the edge of their seats the whole film. And American horror is kind of known for this, like hair raising, edge of the seat, uh, you know, something's going to happen. If you look at many films today, they have borrowed something from The Shining, from the creepy, fantastical elements to the father going insane to the long corridor shots, the creepy twins, uh, the fact that children are creepy, and who hasn't found themselves quoting, here's Johnny? You ever wonder what that's from? Now you know. It's from The Shining. You should have already known that. I'm disappointed in you. If you know about silly and hokey and B-film type uh, campy horror, Everybody knows about Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness. However, have you ever watched the first Evil Dead? This one came out in 1981. The reason why uh, this is actually influential is it inspired a generation of filmmakers to pretty much grab a camera and make anything that they could. Peter Jackson was actually influenced by the Evil Dead. He actually spent quite a few years making low-budget fight fests such as uh, Bad Taste, Dead Alive, that have now influenced more modern filmmakers. Basically, the reason why the Evil Dead is on the list is because it was huge and influential to independent filmmakers, whether they were horror films or not. Next on the list is Alien. This, hands down, is one of my absolute favorite films of all time. I actually still to this day cannot believe that this film was made in 1979 by Ridley Scott. Um, and what was notable about this was it took the sci-fi and horror genre and it blended it perfectly. It was a perfect effect. Horror and sci-fi had been united earlier with films like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but it was actually Alien that perfectly genre blended. What was great about Alien is that it was terrifying without being hokey or campy, and you can also see a lot of its influence in modern-day horror films. Predator, or... Prometheus, obviously, uh, The Thing, and of course, we all know the Xenomorph. It's probably one of the most terrifying movie monsters ever to be placed on a screen. Literally, it's the perfect killing machine. It bleeds acid for crying out loud. And we wouldn't have a list of most influential horror films without Halloween from 1978. So if Evil Dead set the template for low-budget horror in the 80s and 90s, Halloween actually set the template for big-budget horror. Um, Halloween did actually start off as low-budget and uh, independent film, but it basically spawned all of the other slasher movies that started in the 80s and pretty much keep going to this day. Without Halloween, we wouldn't have Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, Friday the 13th, pretty much any of the slasher flicks that followed. Halloween pretty much took the template that was created by Psycho and hulkified it, 
It was pretty much one of the most successful independent films of all time. Halloween also kind of set the standard for how the killer is in horror genre. So you have this mythical, like, killer, right? Michael Myers, who dies, but he keeps coming back. He's a ruthless killer, no soul, and has no other goal except to pretty much kill everybody. That's his goal. That's it. So that's pretty much the trope in all slasher films. You can thank Halloween for that. Next would be, of course, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That came out in 1974. So what was kind of influential about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was that it kind of began the era of gruesome films or exploitation films, while not actually being super gruesome. Uh, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre was actually setting the bar for other exploitation films in the 70s and 80s, uh, with everyone trying to top it, but generally not succeeding. The appeal to this story is that you can believe it's a true story, but you obviously know it isn't. And what would horror be without Night of the Living Dead, 1968? Romero. We all know George A. Romero. Romero had a huge impact on horror. This was a low-budget debut film. It's pretty much impossible in this day and age to watch a horror film that wasn't somehow influenced in some way by Night of the Living Dead. Of course, the main contribution and main influence is the zombie genre, but it also set other standards for on-screen gore, uh, pretty much as much as a director could get away with in the genre. Uh, Romero made this with such abandonment of good taste that every exploitation filmmaker uh, who came to prominence in the 70s treated Night of the Living Dead like the Holy Grail. Uh, Romero even had a child killing and eating its mother. So there's that. Romero actually used the zombie genre as a vehicle uh, to perfectly capture what was going on for the time period when this came out. There was a lot of controversy around this time. You know, we had human rights movements. uh, We had, you know, assassination of JFK. It was just a very controversial time, and these films of the times perfectly captured it, such as Night of the Living Dead. To this day, I don't know many people, even as old as this film is, that said it didn't creep them out as a child. And that movie is The Exorcist. came out in 1973. It was actually called one of the scariest films of all time. And a lot of our roots, as I said, in America are based off of religion. It's a kid that gets overtaken and possessed, and everything that's not holy makes it horrifying. This movie pretty much created every religious-themed horror film that followed. It's actually never been more influential, and with the release of The Last Exorcism Part 2, it actually came back into popularity again in uh, 2012, but there are a lot of iconic scenes from The Exorcist, 
And of course, who could ever forget the spinning head or the pea soup? Um, you know, certain acts committed with holy objects and the spider walk down the steps. Hmm. Another one is uh, from 1931, way back in the day of black and white. And um, it's called Frankenstein. Interestingly enough, there wasn't a lot to do with copyrights back in the day. So even though the film was based off of the book by Mary Shelley, there were no royalties given to the family because those sort of copyrights just didn't exist back then. So this film that set the bar for the mad scientist kind of archetype um, and the undead monster, of course, um, Frankenstein wasn't technically a zombie in the traditional sense. You know, definitely an influence for zombies. Frankenstein, I believe, was kind of the human's fear of us becoming God and creating you know, these monsters. Frankenstein also kind of set up the legacy of many of the classic production horror films like Wolfman, The Mummy, Dracula, many like that. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein's branch of influence can be seen in just about every sci-fi movie character who tries to cheat God and use science outside of his intended purpose to create a monster. Frankenstein touched on curiosity being one of the most destructive things in life if used for the wrong reasons. It's a common theme in almost every horror film ever. For example, if in a slasher, a character knows they shouldn't go in a room, but they do it anyway. You could have dealt with a little less curiosity there, missy. Or for instance, the crew of Nostromo secretly being sent to pick up a facehugger and alien. I love facehuggers. I'd like to keep one in a jar. Not near my bed, though. One of the other most influential movies was Psycho. 1960, Alfred Hitchcock. So Halloween kind of created its own subgenre of slasher films. Hitchcock pretty much presented a groundbreaking film. A lot of films have actually tried to reproduce the shock value from Psycho, and a lot have failed. And this is a prime example of how American horror tends to like to shock the individual watching it, and we enjoy that shock value. Psycho is pretty tame by today's standards, but it reinforces that influence by showing how it was copied to create that shock value. Other ways that it was influential that we kind of got to dive into the serial killer's or psychopath's mind. And the most scariest element of the film that it tried to get across was killers weren't just monstrous or aliens or you know, the monster that chases you around, but it's the guy next door, Joe Schmo. You could be living next to the next serial murderer. That was the most horrific part for people back in the 60s. They didn't want to think about that. And how would my list not be complete without, of course, the 1922 film that started it all, Nosferatu. 
Nosferatu is, in my opinion, one of the most influential horror films ever made for many reasons. It kind of set the template for every horror film that came after it. Think about it. There was a visual style of dark, gothic horror. Uh, It was a distorted world. And this distorted world idea kind of came from a German expressionist cinema, um, which gave the genre its first and greatest monster in Count Dracula or Count Ordok, depending on which version you actually watched. There wasn't a film that dared at the time to be as frightening or as disturbing as Nosferatu. The director actually had no interest in depicting reality. Instead, he kind of opted to portray one of the greatest tales of horror, Dracula, ever written. Nosferatu was pretty much the first film of its kind, and honestly, horror would probably look different without that film. In Japanese horror, if our culture is influenced by Christianity and Protestant and splitting of the church and whatnot, uh, the two main religions in Japan are Shinto and Buddhism. So a lot of those influence uh, Japanese horror films as well as folklore and spirits, just like ourselves with supernatural and ties to the dead. So while American horror is often concerned with descending into the unknown, haunted house cliche, Bates Motel and Psycho, uh, camping and cabin in the woods, you know, etc., etc. Japanese tales often describe the unknown invading the known. So, for instance, in The Ring, Sadako comes out of the TV and directly into the home of her victims. And a lot of Japanese horror has tons of influence from fables. So, uh, the story of Okiku is actually the story about a maid girl that worked for a samurai family. And one day she was cleaning a plate that was part of a set and it dropped and broke. So the family was so upset that they killed her and threw her into the well. Well, Okiku didn't like this. Every night she would crawl out of the well and she would wail and scream until eventually she drove the samurai family insane. That actually touches in the ring. And then we also have the folklore about the Yuki Onna. And if you've ever watched any of my YouTube vlogs, uh, Yuki Onna is actually in there. And the story of her is that one day there was a young man with his mentor. They went out into the mountains, they got lost, and they decided to take shelter in a cabin or a hut, whatever you'd like to call it. They both lay down to go to sleep, and the snow um, yokai, or yure, goes into the cabin and blows the cold air to kill the old man, the mentor. But she finds the young man so appealing that she decides to spare him, with the exception that he can never tell anyone about her. Well, he gets away, he lives, and some years later, he ends up meeting a young woman. 
They have two children together and in the confinement of their home, he feels it's okay and safe to express to this beautiful maiden, his wife, what he saw. And of course, that very woman he married and had children with was in fact the Yuki Onna. She proceeds to float off into the distance and melt away. So ever wonder where the white skin comes from? Well, it's heavily influenced by the Yuki Onna. In many Japanese films, there's kind of a comfortability with leaving some things unexplained, which probably relates to Japan's religious flexibility. They don't really take to one religion or the other. The Shinto faith is often used at weddings for tradition, and then the Buddhist traditions for um, mourning and wakes and whatnot. It's all really sort of tradition, and they're not really strictly adhered to one or the other. The culture kind of seems to accept a level of ambiguity about how the universe works. This is almost opposed to the classic Christian perspective, which tends to break the world down to good and evil. In Japanese culture, there's ambiguous or neutral. Uh, You see a lot of that with their spirits. Um, There are some spirits in the spirit realm that are referred to as literally neutral spirits. They exist. They don't really mess in the world of man. They don't really cause good to happen to man or evil to happen to man. They just kind of exist. What I like about this idea is that often it leaves less expectation for the viewer and leads to some pretty powerful horror stories because a lot is left up to the viewer's imagination. Another notable influence with uh, films that I can touch on with, say, The Ring is the uh, Hanako in the Toilet or Hanako in the Toilet. And it's the idea that you go into an empty stall, you tap on the wall in a certain way, and you call Hanako's name in a certain way, and she'll ask you a question. And there's different versions, but that's kind of the basic gist of it. The idea in The Ring and Juan both go a step further uh, in which they use technology as a vehicle for the dead. And this is happening in more, you know, modern day films where technology is being used to tie to the, you know, supernatural. And it's extremely common in modern Japanese horror. There were rumors spread back in the pager or beeper days or cell phone numbers where you would get text messages from numbers that were impossible to get, you know, text messages from. So it's kind of crazy and kind of cool. The reason why I bring up the ring often is because it has quite a bit of folklore and urban legends tied into it. For example, the concept of onen actually runs deep in the culture. And let me explain a little bit about what onen means. So by getting into my explanation of onen, I also have to backpedal just a bit and touch on yurei. Yurei is the heart of Japanese horror. Yurei are ghosts or spirits that have been stuck in this world because they have a goal or some sort of unfinished business. 
unlike the yokai, which I've talked about before, which can sometimes be, you know, uh, jovial, silly, often animal-like, for instance, uh, tanuki, the yurei have a single mission, and they're often very malicious. Uh, a person that's said to become a ghost that forgets about anything else in their life and only focuses on one driving point or something that they can't give up, this prevents them from resting. So what is the underlying concept behind the Japanese yurei? It's onen. And that's the idea that some emotions are so strong that they can linger. And that power can extend from beyond the grave. Just about all classic and contemporary ghost stories from Japan operate on onen. So often the Japanese portray yurei as people that are dressed in white funeral garb with long dark hair. Um, originally, yurei were portrayed in drawings, art, paintings, um, and they were seen almost indistinguishable from regular people. But around the 18th century, that changed. Uh, since then, the legs of ghosts seem to fade into thin air. They're often shown with their arms outstretched and hands limp. Very often, yurei are female. No one's really sure why this is, but maybe it's because women are thought to hold grudges longer and more powerfully than men. Japanese yurei tend to hunt a specific person or place. And since they have a reason for sticking around, they don't waste their time going after people. Usually happens really quickly. So what are some rules in Japanese horror? This is kind of a central theme in Japanese horror. There's a lot of logical progression uh, based on a set of rules that govern the way things work. We already kind of talked about Onin and Shinto and Buddhism and ambiguity, but a lot of times this has to do with loss of control, how everything functions, everything has a purpose. Um, another thing is the rules of the universe are beyond human understanding. It basically means there's some things that humans can't grasp and we just need to accept it. The idea in uh, Japanese horror that's pretty prevalent is modern society offers no protection from spirits and ghosts. Some people kind of believe this might be the fear of Japan reinventing itself and the speed at which it did happen. Um, especially after World War II. Um, we can pretty well see this in The Ring and films like Juan and Tetsuo the Iron Man, where pretty much metal itself plagues the protagonist like a disease. One of the most common themes in Japanese films, not just horror, but films, is the idea of perseverance in the face of utter destruction. You keep trying. And this is kind of ingrained in Japanese psyche. Some people believe that this probably came about because of the indescribable horrors that existed after the dropping of the atom bombs. 
You can see these in works like Godzilla, Akira, Dragon Head, and it kind of manifests itself a little more subtly in other aspects of the culture. Then, of course, there's the inexplicable damp settings. What do I mean by that? So, in American horror, oftentimes uh, we have different areas for settings. We've got the gritty, dirty, horror, slasher, torture porn kind of settings that are a little more like gritty, damp, sweaty, creepy. But a lot of times, our films tend to take place in musty locations such as basements, cemeteries, mansions. The Japanese tend to associate spirits specifically with water and humidity. This is probably because Japanese summer months are intensely humid and it even persists after nightfall. So they have these dank, confined spaces and they're the most conducive to the appearance of ghostly spirits. It's generally damp settings rather than dry that the Japanese associate with it. To compare and contrast, uh, in Western horror films, the bathroom is frequently a backdrop to terror. In J-horror or Japanese horror, it's about a damp space which is so cloying and so moist that it's hard to breathe. A big example of that, Dark Water in 2002 and The Ring. Uh, Dark Water is um, Honogurai Mizu no Soko Kara. Kind of hard to say, but we all know it as Dark Water. While I could literally do a podcast that could probably last for 10 hours over all the cultural differences and also, more notably, even more things that could go into detail about the differences between American culture and Japanese culture, and also some similarities, we would probably be here all day. So let's break it down to some basic key differences and some similarities. In America, audiences mostly prefer surprising fear or fear that's going to make them jump or has a shock value to it. We kind of like the roller coaster and a lot of times it's not that uncommon for people to laugh after a jump scare. Um, this is pretty common because we enjoy being spooked. Halloween is kind of a thing in America and we all enjoy being spooked and it's silly and it's funny and it's a good time. That's why a lot of us kind of burst out laughing after being surprised. This is also a psychological uh, response, but I won't get into that. American horror tends to lean a little more to the realistic side, especially with the psychological thrillers or uh, slashers. These tend to be the bad guy type films. Japanese audiences prefer the more scary type of fear. This is the type of fear that builds up, creating an impending sense of intangible doom. Uh, Japanese people feel that the image of a ghost just standing nearby, doing nothing, is way more fear-inducing than any other image. That's why these scenes in Japan 
are often used in horror. Arguably, this may come from religious values. The idea of a ghost just standing nearby is enough for Japanese people to imagine what type of memories or regrets haunt the ghost internally. Japanese feel the most fear when these feelings are filled with negative memories and emotions. As an American, we would look at these situations and probably think something to the effect of, what's scary about a ghost that doesn't attack you? But it's not that. It's the sense of foreboding silence that really absorbs into the skin of Japanese audiences. There's a word for it, and it's called wabasabi. This kind of represents the Japanese ideal that imperfect objects are more beautiful than perfect objects. This ideal is a pretty essential ingredient in a lot of today's Japanese horror. One of the hardest things to try to get across to Western audiences is certain ideas. There's norou, tataru, urami. Norou is um, to invoke evil upon. Uh, tataru is basically coming back to haunt. Urami is grudge roughly. So if you take these concepts of these feelings and you get kind of these warm, damp, creeping feelings, it's kind of a metaphor for feminine type fear. So if American is masculine fear, uh, Japanese can be considered feminine fear. It's extremely difficult to explain these words and concepts to Western culture. In American films, one of the things we could kind of compare and contrast over is American horror films, we tend to like to have a resolution. We can have a twist at the end, you know, that happens kind of across the board in uh, both American and Japanese films. The difference is Americans have to have some sort of resolution or it drives them crazy. The Japanese can actually have what is known as an ambiguous ending where there's no resolution. It just kind of ends. And this could probably again be tied to the flexibility of religion and culture. So what are some notable horror films and influential horror films? What's often considered the first Japanese horror movie is Ugetsu. It came out in 1953. And then also the folktale-inspired anthology Kwaidan, which came out in 1964. A lot of times in Japanese film, there were morality tales, which would warn against extremes of jealousy, passion, these sorts of things. The basic idea is to not want something too strongly because it affects your life and it affects events. People that just happen across things and do good because it happens to be that way, perfectly normal. But for instance, if you see, say someone down the street that does something good and is rewarded and then you do that, that creates less of a balance and generally 
that person's going to get his so-called comeuppance. What are some of the best Japanese horror movies of all time? Aside from the influential ones, we have The Suicide Club. It came out in 2001. This is a kind of a dark comedy horror, but it's actually meant to make the viewer curious. It's basically about a mass suicide craze that's sweeping Japanese teenage youth. It's had some odd cinema styles and uncommonly creepy earthiness. It has a very interesting storytelling technique. And the dry comedy is actually kind of a nice touch. Another notable Japanese film that was also influential is uh, Jigoku. This came out in 1960. This has a lot of um, blunt themes of moralism in uh, Japanese horror cinema. Uh, The main character descends into the depths of hell. Um, This is because he had an involvement in a hit and run. Uh, He's basically driven there by his guilt. This film pretty much provides very hypnotic and seductive cinematic hell. Another notable one is Juon, of course, The Grudge. This one's actually an example of the um, jump scare. This one holds true to the fact that there are some jump scare type films in Japan. This is one of them. It has some very sharp jump scares actually, and some of them are good, definitely. What makes this film really interesting is the the sequences of what unfolds in the movie. One of the most notable things about this film is the noise that is looped over and over and over again. And it's kind of this weird croaking noise. It certainly gave me chills the first time I heard it. And even today, I think it's pretty creepy. So uh, one that's kind of fairly old but influential is the 1926 uh, film A Page of Madness and it's kind of a surrealist horror. It's kind of got that perception of carnival whimsy, slideshow of wonders and amusement. This is kind of one of those non-classified types of cinema but it's definitely horror. It's one of those things that gets under your skin a little bit and you're not sure why. And then there's Dark Water. This one definitely plays with the heartstrings. You should see it. The only reason I'm not touching more on that film is a lot of us have seen it. It came out shortly after The Ring. Definitely not his best work, but still influential in its own regard and very good. And then of course there's Kuroneko, which came out in 1968. So this is kind of a pretty dark story. The samurais invade a home of these two women. Uh, They rape and murder them and finally burn down the house. Well, that sounds like a story about magical rainbows and unicorns. Uh, When the samurai are set upon by vengeful vampire-like ghosts, it falls to the warrior to slay the malicious spirits But his connection to the victims leads to conflict. 
dun 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 go watch it is pretty good even though it's old so most notably what we've discovered is a lot of horror depicts the scariness of the era and the times that they're created in a lot of times there's political views in american horror uh that's placed in film um romero's commented on some of it with his zombies so what are some excellent horror films that you know might not have mentioned that are still pretty decent well if you like spoofy campy silliness um and you did like the movie scream by wes craven a parody to that is scary movie and some of them are actually pretty funny so if you like cheesy funny campy stupid horror that's actually not horror but a parody of horror i would suggest scary movie dawn of the dead of course if you've seen night of the dead you have to see dawn of the dead poltergeist was another one that was one of my personal favorites Uh, my mom used to watch it a lot when i was a kid Uh, Another influential one, uh, I don't touch on too much, but it definitely spawned the uh, found footage genre, is uh, The Blair Witch Project. Don't really watch it unless you just want to see what influenced other found footage films, like Paranormal Activity. I don't really suggest watching it ever if you don't have to. Save yourself some time. Uh, One of my personal favorites, it can be argued as a horror or more of a psychological thriller, but I really enjoy the movie The Silence of the Lambs. It's a personal favorite of mine. Uh, Another one by Hitchcock is The Birds. Very, very good. Uh, Jaws is controversial. Some people think it's not a horror film. Some people say it is. Up to interpretation. Up to you. The Bride of Frankenstein is uh, another one that's really, really awesome. Uh, Let the Right One In is a really great film, but you need to make sure that you watch the Swedish version. I know it's not American film, but go watch it. Uh, Another one that I really love, The Sixth Sense, Rosemary's Baby. Uh, The Babadook was interesting and had kind of a surprise ending for me, but it, it was definitely something I enjoyed. I do not, I did not like The Witch, this latest one. You know, I'm all for a nice depressing ending, but you know, that film, there was just something about it I did not like. I can't put my finger on it, but I think it's mostly because the kind of feeling it left me with afterward was not something I'd ever want to rewatch again. I just wouldn't. There's many, many others that I could mention, you know, Hellraiser, Carrie, all these, all these same films. But if I did that, we'd literally be here all night. Um, You know, go, go check it out. Go Google some, find some interesting shows, movies and stuff you want to watch and have fun with your creepy selves. What are some good Japanese film recommendations? Well, we listed off a few. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of some of the scenes in the movie, but it is creepy as hell uh, as Audition. Infection is really, really good. Um, I haven't seen Carved, but I've heard good things. 
Battle Royale is one of my absolute favorites to watch. It's awesome. Premonition, Pulse, Marebito, Kaidan is pretty interesting. If you're looking for animated suggestions, I would definitely check out Vampire Hunter D and Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust. Another really great one, they just remastered it last year digitally, which was really exciting for me, and I'm definitely going to have to get it. It's the uh, Perfect Blue. And I'm so sad that that director passed away because I loved a lot of his films. There's also uh, Tomie and that film series. Gotta mention that if you mention Japanese horror. A lot of people know Tomie. And then we have classics like Goke, Body Snatcher from Hell, The Ghost of Yatsuya, 1959. Good stuff, man. So how has this kind of influenced American culture? We've seen, you know, some influences around the mid to late 2000s. We saw films that were remakes of Japanese films. We also saw it in the early 2000s, late 90s with uh, Quentin Tarantino, Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill. I mean, in, in Kill Bill, he even had a whole anime homage uh, to Japanese animation. Uh, there's a lot of influence, I think, in both regards. I think some more modern-day Japanese films have started implementing uh, jump scares and shock. I definitely do see the differences with our religion versus their religion and um, how you can see a lot of our horror films, if it's revolved around religion, are very like stringent, strict, really hard harsh religious views, guidelines that these religious views kind of go by, and um, some of the supernatural superstitions that we have with our culture and what some of our roots are based off of versus theirs. One of the major differences is we don't really believe that items can get imbued with hatred or become ancient. Um, there's a belief that, you know, an object can hold power the older it is. Um, in American culture, the closest thing we have to inanimate objects gaining life are usually possessed dolls or spirits that, you know, possess themselves to dolls. Or like the campy fun of Chucky, where, you know, he's got the soul of a killer inside this little doll that runs around and supposedly kills people. Whatever, I'd just punt the stupid thing. So in Japanese horror, it tends to be that the main character is found helpless based off of a series of events that just so happen to make it bad. In America, the situation's pretty clearly defined, and it's curiosity that often causes us to end up that way. So generally, we cause the issues to happen, and in Japanese, they just, or in uh, Japanese culture, rather, they just happen to happen. <laughs> I'm an eloquent speech artist. We could definitely touch more on these later and probably will. But for now, those are the most notable differences that I can see 
is the religious differences, the ideologies, how culture and background and uh, folklore come into play with Japanese tales. And uh, Americans, we more tend to base a lot of ours off of moralistic fables, spiritual guidelines for what's right and what isn't right, political views, and whatever is scaring us at the time. Honestly, I think that can be said for both as well, because a lot of films in Japan that pertain to those sort of things also happen during really traumatic events. Horror films in general from both sides of the ocean tend to try to play off of our deepest, darkest fears. And it's these fears that we like to continue to go back and watch each and every time to feel that small sense of escapism and lack of control. I think both American and Japanese horror fans alike can say, that's really what it's all about. We want to be scared the crap out of. You've been listening to Personified. For more information, you can visit me on Twitter at crystal underscore Ann underscore. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash crystalannbooks. And you can also find me on Instagram at director Crystal Ann. Also on Tumblr as director Crystal Ann. And remember, stay creepy. <laughs>